0: Hi, church. What a joy and a privilege it is for me to bring God's word on this special occasion, Father's Day. So I want to greet all the fathers in the house, especially Pastor Cheng Lai, Pastor Benny Ho, who are dear to me. Thank you so much for the opportunity to minister God's word in the house in FCC. And I bring greetings to you from Life Church Castle Hill and also from the IDMC Movement office. We are thankful to the Lord for this wonderful privilege to be able to share the word of God with you this morning. And I believe that the Lord has a specific word for the, past, for the fathers in the house, that we will continue to take it seriously about the stewardship that God has entrusted to us and do it for the glory of God and for the good of his kingdom. So this morning, shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful privilege that we have been given. On this Father's Day, Lord, we pray for all the fathers in the house, that your grace be upon them, that you give them the wisdom and the strength to live out the purposes of God every single day in their life. And today, mighty God, we pray that even as we open the pages of scripture, that you speak to our hearts, encourage us, build faith within us, that we will rise up to the destiny of being a father in the house. So mighty God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace upon our lives. Holy Spirit be our teacher in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen and amen. Story was told of four men that were waiting in the maternity ward in the hospital. And the nurse came out and called for Mr. Jones. And the nurse said, Mr. Jones, your wife had just given birth and she has given birth to twins. And Mr. Jones said, oh, how ironic. I work for double choc-chip cookie factory, and now I have twins. Then later on, um, the nurse came out and said, Mr. Smith, your wife has given birth, and she has given birth to triplets. And the man said, oh, wow, that's interesting, because I actually work for 3M Company. Uh, Later on, The lady came out, the nurse came out and said, Mr. Johnson, your wife has given birth to quadruplets. Oh, wow, that is really interesting because I work for Four Seasons Hotel, the man said. Finally, when the lady came out, the nurse came out to share the fourth good news to the fourth man, the man ran out. He didn't want to hear the news, he just ran. He ran and he ran. So the nurse was puzzled and she turned to the other fathers and said, Why is he running? Or probably he didn't want to hear because he mentioned to us that he works in 7 I want you to listen to me carefully. Hearing on Father's Day, today we're going to talk about the sacred stewardship of fatherhood. Genesis chapter 18 and verses 18 to 19. In the year 2009, Rick Elias was flying in an airplane in New York. He was sitting in 1D and he was able to see the attendants in front of him. All of a sudden, the engines switched off and the attendants' faces turned red. Now, this is what happened. In the midst of it, there was smoke inside the cabin and all the passengers were panicking. Suddenly, the pilot mentions, brace for impact. Now, this is the moment that he recollects and he says this, three things he could think about. One. In that moment, he recognized that his life was over and he regretted all the things that he didn't end up doing. Secondly, it also he was thinking about his relationships and how ego has got in the way of his relationship with his wife and with his friends. Thirdly, he was regretting that he had never been a good father and he wished that he could have been a good father. The plane eventually descended and landed in Hudson River. And everyone survived, and Rick Elias got a second chance to relive his life. Now, every Father's Day, that is an annual reminder for you and me, and the reminder is this, for us to evaluate how we are stewarding our role and responsibility as fathers. So this morning, I'm going to take you to a text in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 8 and verse 9 because in these two verses, the Lord speaks something concerning Abraham's destiny, Abraham's purpose, and Abraham's legacy. And I want you to catch this because it is a sacred responsibility that God has given us. And in these two verses, you realize what is that purpose? for which God has entrusted this to us. Look at this. Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. In these two verses, I've highlighted three propositional phrases for you in him, after him, and about him. Why? Because in these three propositional phrases, they act as a reminder for us to recognize the stewardship that God has given us when it comes to fatherhood. In him, after him, about him. So in this Father's Day, I want us to reorientate our hearts back to God. I want us to reevaluate our commitments as fathers so that we can embrace the promise of life so that we can enhance the prospect of legacy. And thirdly, we can encounter the power of lordship. I want you to catch these three things because that is three key reminders for us in this Father's Day. Number one, embrace the promise of life. In him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You know, earlier this year, I was at a funeral, of a co-worker and a dear friend of mine, Dr. Bobby Rigoso. Three years prior to that, he joined our church. But I knew him for 15 years. He was a GP, he was a practicing GP, well loved in the community, and he deeply cared for his patients. And for more than 25 years, he's been a GP. But 15 years ago, he invited me to come and preach in his church. He was an elder in the local church. But three years ago, he came and joined our church and he went through the Bible college that we have. We have three years of courses in our Bible college, Maximize Life Bible College, where the first semester itself deals with the inner life. And he went through that process and he wanted to have a meeting with me. So I met with him and his wife. And in that meeting, this is what, uh, this is what, uh, I recognize one he had gone through cancer and the doctors had given him seven uh, two years to live but he had already survived that two years now he is in the fourth year or something and this is what he was uh, facing the medical board decided to revoke his license he wanted to be a doctor and practice and be a fruitful productive person but the medical board revoked his license The insurance company did not want to pay him because they think he's fit to work, but the medical board thinks he was not. But this was his conundrum. And there was a deep-seated emotions of disappointment, anger, denial, all of that. And when I met him, by the grace of God, we invited him to come on board, and I started this journey together. And by the grace of God, I shared this at his funeral, that the Lord gave us a grace to reorientate his heart back to God and, and also to disciple him afresh. And in the process, this is wonderful thing that happened. His inner life was restored. He, he was able to let go of everything that was happening around him and trust the Lord and became rested in God, knowing who he is. And that is the key. He became fully, he recognized that his inner life needed to be rebuilt in the word of God and in the sovereignty of God. And once he came to that place, he came on board. He started to serve as college director for us. He not only became our college director, but he also was our IDMC movement network director. And he was networking with churches that wanted to become intentional in their disciple making. And he's a dear friend. So I shared this in his funeral. And his sons came out and gave an outstanding tribute to him. And they were saying how the father had been a man of God who rested. And from a doctor, he became a pastor. And he led leaders towards the IDMC vision. And the reason I'm sharing this is because many times men place importance on uh, what we do. The identity is tied to our work. And when that is taken away from us because of circumstances of life, we crumble like a $2 suitcase. I want you to listen to me carefully because life is not what happens to you. Life is about what happens in you. And that is the key truth that the Lord was highlighting here as well. So when you think of life, I think of life like what my, uh, my spiritual father, Reverend Edmund Chan, uh, always talks about. There are three structures to life. What are the three structures? There's a superstructure of life, there are structures to life, and there is substructure to life superstructure is what you call a public world. What people see about your life. It is your achievements. It's your accolades. It's your accomplishments, isn't it? But there is, that's the superstructure. But then there is a structure about your life. It is your personal world. And that world only your wife and your close ones, maybe friends and your, your, um, your loved ones will know about you. But then there is a private world. That's the substructure of life. The substructure is the private world that no one else knows, only you and God. And how many of us realize that God pays attention to the substructure? Because the substructure is where our character is formed. That's where the the, the strength of our life is formed. Because that is where we either have restedness or restlessness. That is where we have resilience. That's where we are built in for tough times. And that inner life, It's a place where God wants us to deal with because God focuses on the heart. God is not impressed by the work that we do. You know, Listen to me carefully. The Bible says God doesn't look at the outward. God looks at the inward, isn't it? And here in this passage, very specifically, he speaks about Abraham's inner life. He says, in him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So I want to highlight this point. What matters to God is the life we live within. And so he was asking Abraham to pay attention to the life we live within. Because most men, if if you're honest with ourselves, we are caught up with building the superstructure. And we tend to ignore what is of ultimate importance. story was told of uh, uh, King Sajahan in the year 1629, he built a tomb for his beloved wife, one of his favorite wives. And he built a tomb, and uh, he wanted to build it a great memorial. And in the book, Coming Home, Timeless Wisdom for Families, Dr. James Dobson shares this poignant story. When Shah Jahan started to build this tomb as a memorial for his wife, he was so caught up in 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 the construction so what they did is they put the casket in the middle of the ground and, they, and the work started to happen around it. So as they were trying to build this Taj Mahal, in the process of time, this is what happened. One day, Shah Jahan was walking through the garden and he stumbled upon a wooden box. And so he called the workers and asked them to throw it out. It was months later before they recognized that what they threw out was actually the wife's coffin. And why is this important? It is important because in the process of the details of construction, they forgot why they are building it. Listen to me carefully. That's how life is. And that is why God brings back the focus in Abraham's life. Surely Abraham will be a great and mighty nation. Surely He has a destiny, he has a purpose, he has a plan of God upon his life. But what is of ultimate importance is the life he lives within. Why? Because in him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So the emphasis is about what Abraham carried on the inside. I want to give you a principle here. God has chosen to bless the world through the Father's. If you're a father listening to me, listen to me carefully. God has chosen to bless the world through you. Why? Because in you, in your future, in you, you carry the potential, the seed, the promise of life. You carry that. And the way you live your life, the way you live and leave a mark on this world is through your life and what you carry on the inside. And here God says, In him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Story was told of a researcher who wanted to research on the life of Jonathan Edwards. And this is what he found out. And then he also got curious, and he wanted to find out about another man. So there are two men he contrasted. One was a godly man, Pastor Jonathan Edwards. And the other one, is Max Jukes, and Max Jukes lived in the same state of New York, but he was um, a, a person who was an unbeliever, and he married a woman who was also a non-believer, and this is what happened. When the study was done, out of 1,029 descendants of Max Jukes, 300 of them died prematurely. 100 were sent to a penitentiary for average of 13 years. 190 were public prostitutes, 100 were alcoholics. The family cost the state $1.2 million and they made no contribution to society. In contrast, when he studied the descendants of Jonathan Edwards, this is what he found. Jonathan Edwards lived in the same state. He believed in God and had Christian training. He married a girl of like character. And from this union, they studied 729 descendants, and 300 became preachers, and 65 college professors, 13 presidents of university, 60 became authors of good books, three US congressmen, and one vice president of the United States. Listen to me carefully. You can be a vessel for the world to be blessed but it all comes back to where your focus is. If your focus is all about catching up with the Jones and building and and, and living a life that is of superstructure, and you ignore what is of ultimate importance, which is the life you have within, you will have a destiny that may be impressive to the world on paper, but on reality, you would have missed the mark. And that is what God was challenging here, and he was speaking about Abraham in him, all the, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So embrace the promise of life within. Secondly, as we reorientate our hearts, we want to focus on enhancing the prospect of legacy. The Bible says, so that he may command his children and his household after him. Whenever you read that two words, so that, it is a purpose clause. In other words, this is the reason why God says, I have chosen Abraham. God says, I have chosen him for what? So that he may command his children and his household after him. When you think of this, so that always speaks of purpose. You know, when I was growing up as a young boy in India, I loved the writings of Dr. Miles Bundro. He's the one who really championed in my earlier formative years in ministry of how to live a life of purpose and live a life of vision and live a life that is filled with uh, maximizing the potential that God has given you. And in his book on purpose, he writes this, seven principles of purpose. Let me give it this to you. So I want you to take it down. One, God is a God of purpose. Our God is a God of purpose. He doesn't do anything without a purpose. So nothing in life is without purpose. Thirdly, not every purpose is known. Isn't that true? You don't know the reason for why God created uh, mosquitoes. There was a young boy that ran and asked me, Pastor, why did God create mosquitoes? They bite me at night and, and make me lose my sleep. Listen, there is a reason for everything, but not every purpose is known. Fourthly, it says, where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. For everything, God has a purpose. But when the purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. What is abuse? Abuse is abnormal use. If you don't know what the use is and you use it for something else, it's the abnormal use. That's abuse. If you do not know what is the use of husband and you abuse him, it's like abnormal use. That's the key, right? So abuse is inevitable. If you want to think... To know that If you want to know the purpose of a thing, never ask the thing. And purpose is only found in the mind of the creator of the thing. Purpose is the key to fulfillment. I love this. And I want you to catch that fourth point where purpose is not known. Abuse is inevitable. And, and purpose is only found in the mind of the creator. Only God knows why he created you and the reason for what he created you for. So the purpose is something that you and I we need to understand. So when you don't know the purpose, abuse happens. story was told of a rich man who was determined to give his mother a birthday present. And he wanted to outshine all the other siblings. And he read of a bird that had a vocabulary of 4,000 words, could speak in numerous languages and sing three operatic tunes. He immediately bought the bird for $50,000 and had it delivered to his mother. The next day, he phoned to see if she had received the bird. What did you think of the bird, he asked. She replied, it was delicious. If you do not know the purpose, abuse is inevitable. Many times, when men don't recognize the purpose God has given them a family, the reason why God has given them children. If you don't understand that purpose, you will abuse it. So listen carefully. In this, he says, enhance the prospect of legacy. How? Because so that, that he would command his children and his household after him. You know, I love Tom Hanks and every one of his movies, are my favourites. And especially in the movie Cast Away, this is a movie that really gripped my heart because uh, as a character actor, he displayed, he, he really uh, portrayed Chris Noland very well. Now, Chris Noland, I'm going to give you the summary of this movie, so it's a spoiler alert. Chris Noland worked for FedEx and as a, a manager who manages the parcels, the movement of parcels, he was a man of precision and timing. Everything ought to be done at proper time because the whole concept of FedEx is that the parcel will be delivered tomorrow. Yeah. So here, he, he, everything had to be precision. So he will always be looking at his watch and that's how he lived his life. But one day when he was in the plane, again, the plane went through a crash and he ended up in an island and he was lost there for four years. And after four years, he was rescued. He came back to civilization only to realize that his his beloved has married another and now she has a family. Now, that's the spoiler alert. But he was having a quiet moment with his friend and the friend actually said, you know, Chris, we actually had a funeral for you and when we lowered your coffin, we threw three things inside that coffin. One, it was an Elvis Presley CD. Two, it was a beeper. And thirdly, it was your mobile phone. How sad it is that at the end of his life, all people could think of is those three things, Elvis Presley CD and a beeper and and a mobile phone. Why, because that's 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 what represented his life. I wanna give you two key questions to ask yourself here. What is the purpose that's governing your life, right? So two questions for you to reflect. What things best represent your life right now? What things are the greatest asset to you right now? Why? Because what would be said of your life? That could give you an indication of what is the purpose you're living for? What is the purpose that you, your children recognize in your life? The Lord had very clear plan for Abraham. He says, so that, he may command his children and his household after him. I want to take this and give you two principles that I find there. One, he gives you this, that they will, he will command his children and his household. What is command? Command is to issue an order. In other words, through your counsel. That means through the way you live your life and the way you speak into their life. This is important. As fathers, we have a great responsibility to speak life. We have great responsibility to give a sense of destiny for our children. Uh, Their faith is actually, it's something that they take from us. So you and I, we need to recognize that you as a father has been chosen by God for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to lead them, to impart to them life, to give them a sense of destiny. You know when I, when I think of some of the characters in the Bible the Bible says that Rachel um, gave birth to a boy and she gave birth to him in much pain and that pain eventually killed her. So she gave birth to a son and then she looked at that son and named him Benoni. In other words a child of my pain, son of my pain. And then the nurse brought the baby out and told Jacob that his beloved wife, Rachel, had passed away. And this is the baby, and she named him Benoni, son of my sorrow. You know what Jacob did? He took the baby in his hand, and immediately he spoke. No, no, but the baby will never be called Benoni, but instead he will be called Benjamin. What Benjamin means is that he's the son of my right hand. He's the son of my strength. Listen to me carefully. It is the father's responsibility to speak life. You command your children. That's what the Bible says here to Abraham. He will command his children and his household after him. Through the words you speak, through the way you speak life into them and you know, i'm thinking of uh, jacob towards the end of his life in genesis chapter 49 he gathers all his children and all his grandchildren and family by family they come into his presence now jacob recognized that his time to be to go into the presence of god to be buried with all his forefathers has come so he musters all the strength that he can and he lays hands on each son And he speaks life into them. And whatever he spoke about them became their prophetic destiny. Listen to me carefully. Fathers, you have the opportunity to speak life into your kids. You are able to speak life in such a manner that they can change the course of their life. Because they will begin to believe that my father believes in me. I have the father's blessing upon my life. They will rise up to that. And that is what happened in Genesis 49. All that he said concerning their life as a prayer became a prophetic utterance and it became a prophetic destiny. So listen to me carefully. Don't waste your words. Use your words to build them. Use your words to build life. Enhance the prospect of legacy. How? By reorientating your own heart. And so God was speaking very clearly, firstly, that he needs to command his children. Secondly, he also says, not only through the counsel that he gives, but also through his own character. See, children follow the father's character. I want you to listen to me. He says, after him. The word after him is very important because it implies that there's a legacy that you leave behind. That you leave behind a legacy to keep the way of the Lord They will keep the way of the Lord if they see you keep the way of the Lord. That's why you, how you live your life in front of them, matters, not only through your words, the counsel you give, but also the way you lead your life through the character that you display. Because sons follow after their fathers. You know, Abraham lied about his wife one day. Abraham Lied about his wife even before Isaac was born. So Isaac may not have even known that he lied about his wife, that his father lied. But you know, in Isaac's life, he repeated the same sin the father did. He lied about his own wife for her self-preservation. Listen to me carefully. The way you live your life will affect your future descendants. That's why we got to take this into heart. He says, let your character, what you display to them, leave a legacy that they would be proud to follow after. That would be an example for them to walk. So not only command your children through your counsel, but also leave a legacy for them through your character. But in this case, the Lord was very specific. You know, when I look around the church, I realize there are many not only in the society, but also within the church, that there are children who have absentee fathers, fathers who either uh, neglect the children. You know, uh, you have parents on both sides. You have parents who idolize the children, or there are parents who neglect the children. But I want to pay attention to fathers today because sometimes we we kind of give them presents, but what they need is not present from us, but our presence. Love is spelt T-I-M-E. Study was done and this is what they found. The average child spends 25 minutes a week in close interaction with their parents and 25 hours in close interaction on social media. Listen, a survey was done where 300 7th and 8th grade boys kept accurate records of how much their father's actually spent time with them over a two-week period. Most saw their father only once at the dinner table. A number never saw their father for days at a time. The average time a father and son were alone for an entire week was seven and a half minutes. How sad is that? That the greatest responsibility God has given to us, we're not speaking into their life. We're not modeling that life after them. We gotta listen. See, sometimes the these studies, these are empirical evidence. I want to give you some more. Dad spends eight minutes on uh, a day talking to their children on average. Working mothers spend about eleven minutes a day, and stay-at-home moms spend less than thirty minutes a day. See, that's why you 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 they, even though you're in the house, doesn't necessarily mean that you are actually inputting. Directly into your children's life. So listen carefully. You and I, the way we speak and the way we, the steps that we take are being observed. How we speak and what we speak and the steps that we take. Why? Because someone is always coming behind us. A man was crossing a field to a tavern one day when he looked behind him and saw his son. And the son said, Look, Dad. I'm following in your footsteps. The dad immediately turned around and went back home. Why? Because they are following after your steps. So be careful how you speak and what you speak at the same time where your steps lead you because they are coming after you. One other survey says this, if both the parents were faithful to the Lord, 93 kids, 93% kids, ninety-three of the kids remain faithful to the Lord. Wow, two parents faithful to the Lord, 93% of the kids remain faithful. If one parent was faithful, the figure dropped to about 73%. When both parents are moderately faithful, it dropped to 53% of the young remain faithful. But both parents were only occasional attendees. They are nominal Christians. That figure dropped to about 6%. Your children will follow your leading. So listen to me carefully. You and I need to pay attention to this. There's a story in the Bible of the life of Eli. Eli is a priest, but he had two sons. The Bible calls them worthless sons. And he was a complacent father. Listen to these two verses that I'm going to read. 1 Samuel chapter 2, and verse 12 says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Why were they worthless? They were worthless because they did not know the Lord. And whose job is this? He's a priest. He ministers to everyone else. But at his own home, there was no testimony. They did not know the Lord. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, and verse 13, the Lord says this, I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Look at the indictment from the Lord. He says he did not restrain them. This is what happens, that when you remain quiet, you don't take that responsibility to command your children and your household with your life, with your conduct, with your character and with your counsel. You became complacent. And they become worthless, and the Lord holds that against you. Today, society in the society we see this, there's an increase of sexual promiscuity. There's an increase of alcoholism. There's an increase of drug, drug abuse, increase of suicide rates. In fact, one survey says this, 20 teens attempt to end their lives every 30 minutes. 685 teens become drug users every 30 minutes. 23 teenage girls have abortions every 30 minutes. 9,000 teenagers are killed each year while drink driving. I want you to listen to me. You and I cannot be quiet. We have to live in a manner that leaves a legacy for people who come after us. Now, I'm not just talking about fathers here. I also want to take a moment to talk to the leaders of the church. Why? Because you and I have a great responsibility to make sure that our next generation rises up and walks in their destiny. That's what I do in all my church consultations and in all my conferences. I want to bring this focus back to next generation. That's the heartbeat in a disciple-making church. Because if we compromise on reaching the next generation and empowering them and, and releasing them into their destiny... We have lost it. I want you to listen to me carefully. If you're a father in the house, if you're a leader in the house, the next generation becomes of greater importance for us. That's the heartbeat of an intentional disciple-making church. The third thing, I know that I've taken a lot of the time in the second point, but the third point is this, and encounter the power of lordship. What is encountering the power of lordship? He says, what God has spoken about him. I want to read the whole scripture with you again. Genesis 18 verses 18 and 19. Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. The reason I want you to read the whole thing is because I want you to see the big picture. The big picture is what God has spoken concerning Abraham, God will bring it to pass. This whole passage of scripture is so God-centered. See, scripture is always God-centered. I want you to listen to me. Because sometimes we read the scripture with our own personal ambitions and what we want. And uh, we read it from a man-centered view of life. But scripture is actually written from God to us. It's a God-centered view of life. And here in this passage, God is the one speaking about Abraham's future, his destiny, and his legacy. You know, I've never seen in the Bible David or Joseph or anyone who go before God and cry and fast and pray and say, Lord, make me the head and not the tail. Make me a king. I want to be the king of Israel. I've never seen David cry out and do all that. The reason is because None of them presume this. It is something that is bestowed upon you. Only in the modern Christianity, we have all this selfish, self-centered ambition um, that's guiding in our pursuits, even godly things. But in the olden days, they had this understanding that promotion comes only from the Lord. It is God who raises you up for the destiny that he has. Here, in this passage, God is the one speaking about Abraham's life and God says, this Abraham's life, I will do this. And I want you to see three things from this passage of scripture as you read it together with me. Look at this. It says, so that, the second time the word so that appears. He says, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Meaning, The Lord has spoken certain things about Abraham. What is that? It is the Lord's guarantee. What is the guarantee? The guarantee of God's promises. God has spoken. And those spoken words are rooted in divine promise. And the divine promise here is God says, I will bring to pass all that I have spoken. In other words, God guarantees that God will bring the purposes of God, the promises of God come to pass. So it's a guarantee of God's promise. The second thing is, he says that the Lord may bring upon. In other words, the Lord, you know, the Lord is the one speaking here. And he refers to himself as the Lord may bring upon. In other words, the Lord says, I guarantee you with my presence. Not only the promise, but also presence. What is the presence here? The presence is the self-existent one, God himself, the covenant God. You know, when the word, you, when the word is Lord, Lord is a covenant God. That means he, he's a covenant God who has made a covenant with you and he gives you a covenant promise and he will bring you into a covenant destiny. And here in this case, he says the Lord says this. That means he guarantees, he self-guarantees that he will do it with his promise and with his presence. Thirdly, he also says that the Lord may bring upon, may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. May bring upon means that the Lord guarantees that he is solely responsible to fulfill the plan and the purpose and the destiny upon Abraham. In other words, God guarantees by his power. So one is the guarantee that comes from God's promise. Second is the guarantee that comes from God's presence. And now God's power. And God says, I'm going to give you this power. What is that power? The power is that I will fulfill this destiny that is upon Abraham's life. You know, the whole chapter of Genesis, chapter 18, the whole chapter is a God-centered chapter. It is about a godly man and his interaction with God. When I look at the whole chapter, I divide that whole chapter into four phrases. I want to give you this. One, uh, the whole chapter 18 is about Abraham. Firstly, God comes and meets Abraham in his house, and Abraham hosts him and hosts a meal. So Abraham is showing hospitality. In other words, he was a practical man. You see how practical Abraham is in hosting the presence of God. Secondly, God bestows upon him certain promises where Abraham suddenly becomes a privileged man. So he's not only a practical man, but a privileged man because he's hosting God and God is now talking to him about the future. And wonderful, God gives him promises. Thirdly, it is that Abraham becomes a proved man. In other words, he's an approved man of God that he proved to the Lord that he can receive. There is is almost like an entrustment. God has a confidence. There is a divine confidence upon Abraham that God says, this man will do what I ask him to do. Look at how sure it is written here. The assurance is seen in this verse. It says that that he will command his children and his household after him. In other words, they will keep the way of the Lord. There was almost like an assurance that God has that this man will do it. And surely he did, because in Genesis chapter 22, you find that Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac. And Isaac cooperated with the father to be sacrificed. And you can see how the household are walking after God. Hallelujah. And here, this is the key. In Genesis chapter 18, you not only see Abraham as a practical man, but you also see him as a privileged man, an approved man. And fourthly, you also see him as a praying man. Because after this passage of scripture, the Lord reveals to Abraham what he's going to do in in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham starts to intercede, pray. Pray for his family, Lot. I want you to listen to me carefully. So this whole passage of scripture is is about a righteous man who's walking with the Lord. So you cannot take this out of that context and say this applies to everybody. It only applies to you if you are walking with the Lord. Listen, Abraham was a man who had a relationship with God. He walked with God. He had a powerful encounter. He had a Lord about his life. And because he had a Lord about his life, that Lord said, I have called you, I've chosen you, and now I'm giving you this promise and the guarantee of my presence and my promise and my power that I will fulfill the destiny in you and through you. Surely, Abraham will become a great and mighty nation. Why? Because the Lord and him are walking together. Unfortunately, this can't be said of many fathers, isn't it? Even this morning, if you're listening to me, I want you to examine your own heart. You may say, But Pastor, um, I may not be as committed as Abraham, but I am committed. Can I humbly say this? There's no such thing as partial commitment. Either you're fully committed 100% or you're not. Why? Because life's at stake, destiny is at stake. You and I cannot have half hearted commitments. You know, I was talking to a pilot. And this is what the pilot said to me. When an Airbus A380, huge pilot, a huge uh, aeroplane, when that aeroplane is on uh, on the runway and it's about to take off, there comes a certain point that the pilot has to lift off. In other words, he cannot decide to remain on the ground anymore. He has to make that move to pull the gear and start to fly higher. Because when he comes to that point where he's about two-thirds in the runway and he, for some reason, decides to stay on the ground, there will be a disastrous crash. The reason I'm saying this is because many of our Christian life is like this. There are many people who are in our churches who have an engine running they're always preparing they're always getting ready they're always saying i'm going to do it I'm, I'm i wish i can do it i want to do it i i, I love to do it but they never do it they're like that engines that are running and they're running fast on the on the highway uh, on the on the runway but they are not flying and they benefit no one I want you to listen to me. If you're a father in the house, you have a sacred responsibility to take leadership at home, to be the priest at home, to leave your legacy at home so that your children, through your counsel, through your, through your character, they will be able to continue in the way of the Lord. That's why you and I cannot have a partial commitment in this. You and I, we need to have a full commitment. Evangelist Henry Valley said this once to D.L. Moody. The world has yet to see what God can do with what God can do and for and through one man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Listen to this carefully. The world is yet to see what God can do with one person who is totally consecrated. And if you're consecrated totally unto the Lord, the Lord will use you mightily and your children as well. Praise God. As I bring this message to a close, I'm reminded of the New Testament. You know, I gave you an Old Testament example of uh, Abraham. But let me bring something from the New Testament. Earlier this year in my study on the book of Acts, I came across this man by the name of Philip. The Bible calls him Philip the Evangelist. There are three passages of scripture that uniquely speaks about Philip. One, he's mentioned in Acts chapter 6. Secondly, he's mentioned again in Acts chapter 8. And thirdly, he's mentioned again in Acts chapter 21. And you sometimes wonder, how did the author of the book of Acts, how did he get all his stories about Philip? I tell you what, this is where the clue is. Acts chapter 21 and verse 8, the Bible says, On the next day we departed, we meaning including Luke along with Paul. So Paul and his entourage, which included Dr. Luke, came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. Acts chapter 6, he's mentioned as one of the seven deacons that were called to come and minister. Is that right? And stayed with him. And verse 9 says he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. This is a particular instance where Dr. Luke must have heard a lot of stories about the early church, how there was persecution, how there was grumbling and murmuring. And but one thing the Holy Spirit highlights through Dr. Luke for us is this man, Philip. I want to give you three things about Philip from this verse in verse 20, chapter 21 and verse 8. Firstly, it says he was one of the seven. He was a distinguished worker in the church. He was a model man. People called him to serve as deacons because he was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit and he was a distinguished worker in the church. Not only that, Acts chapter 8 actually records how Philip the evangelist was a good preacher. He not only proclaimed the gospel in public places, but he also had a private conversation of the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8 talks about Philip the evangelist. So he was not only a distinguished worker in the church, he was also a dynamic preacher in the world. But then that's not where the story ends. In Acts chapter 21, when he played host and, and brought in Paul and all his entourage to come and stay with him, they discovered something else about him. Not only that he was a distinguished worker in the church and a dynamic preacher in the world, but he was a devoted father at home. Look at this he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Four daughters. I don't know why his wife is not mentioned but the Bible is silent about his wife but the Bible says about his daughters and I want to and the reason why the Holy Spirit highlights that for us is because it wants you to see how this father who was a distinguished worker in the in the church a dynamic preacher in the world but he, how devoted he was to the Lord even at his home and as a result his offspring they walked in the ways of God there are three things that's mentioned about these daughters. Four unmarried daughters. Unmarried in that sense, they are virgins. In other words, the world, the culture is impure. In the midst of impurity, because in the culture there was adultery, fornication, and homosexuality. But here in Philip's house, in the midst of such culture, there was a countercultural life of purity. That's the first thing. They were virgin daughters. Second thing, they were unmarried daughters. The reason why the Bible also says they were unmarried is because I think they devoted themselves to serve the Lord together with the Father. Marriage was not their concern. They wanted to serve God. And In, the, in, the previous, in, the, in, in one of my sermons, I actually shared with you how um, early, early apostles, many of them were singles. And here, they may have chosen to remain single for the service of the Lord. So they were not only pure, they were also pious. You can see the piety in them that they dedicated themselves single-mindedly to serve the Lord together with the Father. The Bible also goes on to say, he had daughters who prophesied. In other words, they were demonstrating power. Power evangelism. They were speaking life. They were exhorting others. They were encouraging others and building up the church. What a powerful testimony this is. So God, when the Lord was saying to Abraham, in you, the nations will be blessed. That through you, not only through you, the nations will be blessed. You need to leave a legacy after you. And whatever goes on in your life, I will bring about everything that I've spoken about you. Can I humbly say this, church? You and I, we need to leave a legacy at home. We need to live a life that is, that is able to, uh, for our children to follow after in, the, in, in, in things of God. So in closing, let me bring these three things again into your memory. We need to reorientate our hearts back. And as we reorientate our hearts back to the Lord, we need to embrace the promise of life. But I want you to think about this. Your life is not without Christ. Your life is in Christ. The Bible says, in him the nations of the earth will be blessed. And you know what? That in him the nations of the earth will be blessed. The Bible calls it in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8. You go with me to Galatians 3, 8. It says, Scripture foreseeing that the God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. All the nations will be blessed through you. That was the gospel. Abraham believed that. And you know what is that blessing that the whole world will receive? It is the seed of Abraham. And Christ calls himself the seed of Abraham. It is Christ Jesus. So in you and I, we need to come back to this, that how will we walk in our destiny? How will we fulfill the sacred responsibility that's given to us as fathers The only way is if we come back to Christ. And that's why I want to give you these three things. Embrace the promise of life in Christ. Enhance the prospect of legacy in Christ. And encounter the power of lordship in Christ. For there is no blessed destiny without Christ. It is only in Him that we will have the promise of life. That only in Him we will have the prospect of legacy. That only in Him... We have the power of lordship because he will fulfill his destiny in our lives. You and I have to give ourselves completely to him. Hallelujah. In closing, let me say this. There are four movements I see in discipleship. Since you are in a disciple-making church, pay attention to this. Through Jesus Christ, you and I are saved. Through Jesus Christ, we come to salvation. We are not only saved through Jesus Christ, but we are also saved for Jesus Christ. For Him, we are saved. In other words, we are saved to do His will. We are saved to make Him known around the world. Thirdly, it is not just through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. We are also called to live with Jesus Christ. With Jesus Christ. In other words, that's the third movement in discipleship. That we learn to journey with him every single day. With him in intimacy. Walking with him. Learning from him. And that with him is where we grow. And finally, the fourth movement in discipleship is that everything is found in him. Your life is in him. Your destiny is in him. So in other words, you begin to discover That your identity is in Him. Your security is found in Christ. That your significance is found in Christ. That your satisfaction in life is found in Christ. And the moment you recognize this, that you are through Christ you are saved. You are saved for Christ. You are saved to walk with Christ. And that you are saved to experience life in Christ. That in Christ you have everything. Then you will not be walking mundane in your life. you come back every single day and you say, Lord, here is my life. I give it to you. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to live my life in Jesus. And the, re- and the reality is this, church, that God has placed you in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, you have the promise of life. And you have the prospect of legacy. And you have the power of lordship that God will fulfill his plan and his purpose. So submit to him and fully yield to him. So fathers, listen to me. Give yourself completely to Jesus this morning. And if you're listening to me and you have never made that decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to commit your life to Christ today. Ask the friend that invited you to church, just ask him to lead you in a prayer because you, you need to know the gospel. The gospel is that God loves you And that God sent his only son to die for you, to redeem you from your sin and to help you to join the family of God. So now you belong to him. So come and give your life to him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for speaking to our hearts through your word. We pray that we will continue to give our hearts completely to Jesus. And I pray for every father in this house that Lord, that we will give our hearts back to Jesus that we will take stock of the way we steward our role and responsibility as fathers, that on this Father's Day we will make a commitment to give ourselves totally to Christ and also to leave a legacy in our household, that we will steward the responsibility that he has given to us, that we will command our children through our counsel, through our character, that we will lead and we will leave a legacy for them in the way we speak and what we speak and the way we lead our lives and through our steps that we take, that we will leave a mark for them. Father, we pray that in all things we know that we can't, only you can. So we look to you and we ask that you will work in us and through us, mighty God. And you will fulfill the plan and the purpose that you have spoken concerning our lives and concerning our families. So I speak life to every family. And I pray your blessing upon every father bless them with your wisdom and bless them with your grace that they will rise up and walk in destiny in Christ in Jesus name and the people of God said amen and amen receive this benediction the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance and give you his peace in Jesus name Amen. Shall we give the Lord a clap offering, church? Hallelujah. We love you. God bless you. And happy Father's Day.